I wanted to look uh, today, it's probably the beginning of a, <coughs> of a number of, of teaching areas which are um, perhaps a little bit more meat than milk, but this is a mature church in many ways, so we need to look at where we are strong. We also need to look at those things perhaps where we're not so strong, and I feel Lord may be, may be speaking about. So basically today's what was worship like in the early church is basically what I'm going to talk about, but uh, that can sound a bit dull. So I thought what I'd do to catch your attention is tell you a little story. So the pastor stepped up to the lectern and he opened the Bible with a flourish. What does that mean, Daddy, the little boy in the front row said? It means he's going to tell us important things about the Bible. Then the pastor took a sheaf of notes And he put them carefully on the lectern. What does that mean, Daddy? piped up little boy. That means he's going to explain Bible stories. Then the pastor removed his watch and he put it on the lectern. What does that mean, Daddy? That means absolutely nothing. Now, having got your attention, can we consider worship in the early church and contrast it with what we do here and learn lessons from it? The early persecuted church usually met in private houses. Paul describes two types of Christian meeting. One was the Lord's Supper or a ceremonial community meal. Well, we had a community meal recently, didn't we? Wasn't it good? Over 40 people here. It wasn't particularly ceremonial, but it was this concept of fellowship and people meeting together. But Paul also describes a second type of meeting, and it's actually a prophetic assembly with singing and thanksgiving, with prophecy and with unknown languages and with interpretation of those. Maybe many of their meetings had both of those aspects in the one meeting, in the same gathering, perhaps. So they sang. Well, what did they sing? Well, you see, in the Bible, hold it up with flourish, in the middle of the Bible, there is a songbook, right in the middle, and it's called Psalms. A good guide for us in Psalms is, thank you, John, Yes, you're already there. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Extol's a bit of a funny word, but if you think of raise him up, exalt him, and so on. Would you like to now look on behind me at Ephesians 5, verse 19? It'll be up there. There it is. In a way, it's our key bit for today. Speak to one another with psalms, <coughs> hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Notice, not in your mouth, not whistling, not humming. Sing and make music in your heart. The inner man, the inner woman, where the Holy Spirit resides within you, wants to sing to whom? 
to the Creator, to Lord, to Jesus. So that's the first thing. Do we speak to one another in our services here with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? So, anybody got a psalm? Um, Jim, yeah, would you like to? Nice and loud, Jim. Jim's got a psalm. Right, for the recording, Psalm 95 says in this translation, Come, let us sing to the Lord, sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So has anyone got a psalm? The answer is yes, Jim's got a psalm. Has anybody got a hymn? Barbara. So these are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And those, these are days of great trial, of famine and darkness and sword. Still we are voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice, it's the year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David, rebuilding the temple of praise. These are the days of the harvest. The fields are as white in the world. And we are the laborers in the vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. So has anyone got a psalm? Has anybody got a hymn? Has anybody got a spiritual song?
song is called May the Son of God Enfold You in His Spirit and His Love, but it's also called Spirit Song. It was written by the late John Wimber, and it's a perfect example of a spiritual song. But now let's look at Psalms. What does that word mean? It means to touch, to pluck, to twang it, like a lyre or harp in the Greek. Probably not an Aramaic lyre or harp, but I did buy this in Ephesus. And I think it illustrates the simple sort of instruments they would have used in worship in those houses. This one looks a bit like a gourd, but in fact it's crafted of clever little bits of wood. And it has a thing that you pick. So psalm is perhaps not the way you thought of it. Psalm to pluck, to touch. So twanging guitars and struck pianos where the piano hits those strings is rather biblical. So if they had guitars and pianos in the early church, they would have been quite happy to use them. So that's a little skate over psalm. Now consider the word hymn, a song in honour of God. It's from the root word of humnos, H-U-M-N-O-S, humnos. Often in our hymn books, the hymns are about God. We sing about God in hymns, whereas modern choruses tend to be to God, a difference in a reflection of relationship which merges to nothing when both are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now consider spiritual songs. Better word perhaps scripture is spiritual odes. You know odes? That is a short poem or song set to music to be sung. The music having melody being an agreeable stream of sounds, ideally. Now, what are all of these threes, really, but vehicles for us to travel on to worship? In fact, they are all to be found in the book of Psalms. You will find Psalms, of course. You will find hymns, and you will find spiritual songs there. So they are three aspects of the same thing. But it's important that all of those can be used as vehicles that are right for us. And at times, we may want the traditional hymn that has been written by an anointed man of God. And at other times, it's the modern chorus, because that's what spirit song is. And at other times, it's something else. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 says of worship, 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. 
I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. See, there's a freedom there. It's a body language freedom. And it doesn't mean you ladies are let off in any way because obviously men is an inclusive title. I want men everywhere, I want men and women everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And obviously prayer can also be in worship. And that can be a block for some people. It certainly was a block for me as a new Christian. I couldn't really cope with that. But I came to a place of realizing that people who worshipped and prayed in that way were sincere. My assessment was my problem, my fear, my inadequacy at that time. And that's something, again, that we need to be free to do if people have that in their heart as an outward sign of expression of worship. Worship, of course, is that loving action that Josie talked about, the root cause. But it isn't just worship, is it? It's orderly worship. And this is described in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, John, verse 26. We'll start at, please. When you come together, everyone, everyone has a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. We have if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Isn't that interesting? Everyone. It goes back to the beginning, John. Everyone has a hymn, a word, instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. doesn't mean that each individual person has all of those, but as a body, collectively, those areas should be operating in normal worship. Why? To strengthen the church, to build it up. Not everybody is going to have the gift of having revelation. Not everybody will have the gift of tongues. There may be a personal tongue which is a prayer language between you in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. But there's also a public tongue, a church tongue, if you like, where somebody stands and speaks in a language which we do not understand with our mind, but our spirit, Holy Spirit within us, certainly understands it. And that is a pure communication between that person in the power of the Spirit to tell the church what is on God's heart but there needs to be somebody else there who has the gift of interpreting those words that have come out. And that is good and right. And it can be an area of fear and it can be an area of blocking. But it's not something that is uncontrolled. If you have the gift of tongues, you can start and stop it when you like. It is not uncontrolled. It is not something you understand with your mind. But your inner man or woman fully understands it. It's the only gift that's given to us, folks, on the personal area, to build us up. 
the only one, the private one. All the other gifts are to build up the church, to serve others. It's the only one that God, Jesus, gives us when the Holy Spirit comes. The public tongue is different matter. And I think often in prayer and ministry and healing, there is a place there where there is a form of tongues that is used. That, that's its, own. it's an area people have difficulty with. It's an area whereby people try to block or give either pressurized to do it or not to do it. But we need to be aware that we are everyone's. Everyone's. And therefore all of those areas are open in us to be released. If you have the Holy Spirit, then those are within you. It's a question of at what point does God either want you to unpack it and use it, or maybe it's to do with your free will as to when you choose to allow God to unpack it and use it in you. Christmas is coming, good time to unwrap presents. So I encourage you, pray for those things that you just know in your heart you would like to be able to do for the Lord. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two at the most, three should speak. This is to do with the order. One at a time, not all at the same time. You wouldn't be able to, you'd be a jumble. Somebody must interpret. If there is a tongue publicly, there is always an interpretation. My experience is often it comes after the service because the person who's got the interpretation is too shy and doesn't actually say it. Once somebody actually does step out, my experience often is this one message from God is often comes in two or three different ways that are quite complementary or may not be complementary. They may be individual for people there. Verse 30 says in that <coughs> scripture, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And that is why that is part of orderly worship. So what else did they do in the early church? In these meetings, this worship, this... Yes, they followed Jesus' example. In Matthew 4, verse 23, it says this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues. Can we just substitute the word church there to help us, or chapel? Teaching in the churches and chapels. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In the synagogue, that's the church or the chapel, healing in the meeting of every disease. In the synagogue, church or chapel, healing sickness at the meeting. So you see in the service, the meeting, the word, the word of God, and the works. Well, who does the works? Well, Jesus does. But who does he get to do it? Well, think of feeding the 5,000. You remember there's all that hungry crowd and there's the disciples all running in circles saying, what should we do, what should we do, oh, woe is me. And effectively, he says, you do it. You do it, you feed them. Look at Mark 1, verse 21. And in that story, on the Sabbath, in a synagogue, church, chapel, 
He heals a man with an evil spirit. Now this is the first healing of Jesus, the first healing after his baptism where he receives the Holy Spirit. Before that he had done nothing. There's one or two mentions about being teacher and rabbi, but he had done nothing in terms of his ministry of preaching and teaching until he was baptized, until he received the Holy Spirit. So the first miracle of Jesus is w- takes place where? It's in a church. And there's a man there with an evil spirit. You can read the story. There it is. And the thing that is not of Jesus says, recognizes him. Have you come to destroy? Notice the knowledge of the evil thing. You are the Holy One of God. He got that right, didn't he? Knowledge. Can we have the next bit, John? Yeah, just next verse. Just then. Yep, next bit down. If you can. Be quiet. What mild words. This poor guy. Be quiet. Come out of him. Spirit shakes, coming off, comes out with a shriek. Well, yep. It's gone. He's healed in the church service. If we look at Mark 3, um, don't need to do this one, John. There's actually a church in worship, and there's a man there with a shriveled hand. And what happens in that service is it gets restored and healed. Now you will see and you will know that part of what we have gone through happens in our own meetings, parts of it in worship, in the services, in this church. But we must be honest with ourselves and to God and say some things have become shriveled and do not occur. These areas need to be freed. Why? To build up the church, to build up this church, to build up the chapel. That which has withered needs to be restored. You see, there's, in some areas, it's like a sleepiness. We are asleep in the light. So how can we honor God and remain bound in these areas? We're called a free church, aren't we? And aspects of it, all aspects of it in our meetings, needs to be free. Free does not mean disorder. There are clear biblical guidelines for us of orderly worship. If we can't do it here, how can we as individual Christians do it in the week? You see, for worship for a Christian is a continual state of being. The Holy Spirit is within you, has the relationship with Jesus and the Father by the power of that Holy Spirit. So you're Christians all the week. And the worship, therefore, should be flowing all the week, not just for an hour and a quarter in this church. It's a continual state of being. You see, the full free expression that we've looked at in the early church is a good foundation for us 
to build hearts of praise and worship. Now, does that ring a bell with you? It's almost back on page one, wasn't it? What did it say? It said something about hearts, didn't it? Is anybody listening? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Can we have Ephesians 5, verse 19, back on the screen, John? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You see this inner man, inner woman, a continual state of praise as you are doing. That's going on whether you're acknowledging it in your flesh or not. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. And he wants you just to come more and more into line with that. So we need to look to the early church as that good foundation for us to build hearts of praise and worship. Do we dare to hope that that small, quiet voice of God could say to us, free, free, free at last. Let us resolve to be true to God's work in meetings, our praise, our worship, in prophecy, in tongues, in interpretation, in preaching the gospel and healing every sickness. Free, free at last. You say the Bible says that which God makes free is free indeed. Do you remember the story of the little boy at the beginning I told you? You see, That freedom, that means absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Not like my watch being on here to time, which meant absolutely nothing. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it just separates what we think from what we know and what is true to what we think is true. But Lord, we can't do it, but we can allow you to do it through us. So Lord, in those areas where we're strong, would you just temper us? But in the areas where we're weak and withered and incomplete, would you make us strong? Would you heal us and restore us as a church in all of these areas? Would your perfect love come and conquer any fear in these areas? And Lord, would you just give the unction for the teaching so that this is explained, so that people will understand with their minds, so that their spirit may be free to worship you all the time and not just for an hour and a quarter, and that your works would be done here in completeness as it was in your early church, Lord. Forgive us where we have gone wrong. Forgive us where we have shortchanged you. Forgive us, Lord, where we come late to your word. And Lord, forgive us when we go ahead of you in our own strength and not yours. 
Will you teach us? Will you guide us? Will you show us? And thank you, Lord, that you do all of this in love in order to protect us, to help us, and to keep us in your paths because you really do love us so much. And Lord, sometimes we quench that by doing our life and not yours. Lord, we seek that freedom in you that we may truly say, I am a member of a free church. And our spirit will say within us, Amen. Now we're going to end not on a spiritual song, but on a hymn. <coughs> and it's 1187. What have I? Oh, yes. Thank you. Before the hymn, I'm going to ask Des if he could thanks for the offering. <laughs>